you remain standing for the reading of God's word or stand back up. (laughs) On that very first Christmas day, an angel from God appeared to a group of shepherds in the middle of the night on a dark hillside outside of Bethlehem. And this was his message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And after the angel presented Jesus to those shepherds, the story of Christmas continues in this chapter with Jesus being presented by Mary and Joseph at the temple of God in Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up in verse 21. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Into the darkness of a broken and hopeless world, God sent his son, Jesus, to bring us hope. And so this morning we light the third candle of Advent as a reminder to us that our hope is found in a person and his name is Jesus. Let's make our prayer. Father, thank you for Christ having come, a light of revelation shining to the darkness of this world. And Lord, we praise you that because Jesus has come, we can live with hope. So, Lord, this morning, as we look at your word, I pray that every heart in this room, those joining us online, would be filled with the hope that is ours because of Jesus. So, Father, teach us by your spirit what you'd have us to learn from your word. And may we leave this place and live our lives filled with hope because of Jesus. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now you may be seated, church. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we're studying the Bible in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we have been focusing on the four traditional Advent themes through our study of the book of Luke or the chapter Luke 2. And those themes are peace, joy, hope, 
and love. We've already looked at peace and joy, and this morning we're going to look at a man named Simeon who met Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus when Jesus was just over a month old. And what we're going to see in the life of Simeon is a picture a picture that we find illustrating what it looks like to live with the hope that Jesus brings. And friend, I I just want to ask, would you like to live with hope today? Would you like to leave filled with hope today? I, I have been praying for our hearts to be filled, brimming, overflowing with hope as we leave this place. But as I thought about that, I wondered, How many of us can actually say what hope is? If a friend of yours said, why do you live with hope and what is hope? Would you be able to explain to them how Jesus brings you hope and even more how you live in the hope that Jesus brings? Well, that's my desire for this morning. And I want to start then by just spending a couple of minutes establishing a definition for the word hope. In our language, we use that word hope with several very different meanings. The first of which is wishful thinking. Often when we say the word hope, we simply mean wishful thinking. For instance, my father-in-law and I both enjoy fishing. And quite a few times throughout the years, We have been fishing with one another, and I've got to tell you, I love my father-in-law with all of my heart, and I have to honestly tell you, he's the worst fisherman I know. Like, it's not even close. I don't even know who number two would be compared to dad. I'm not sure he could land a fish sandwich at McDonald's. He's that bad of a fisherman. And dad, if you're watching, I hope this doesn't negatively affect my Christmas present this year, but anyhow... Every time we go out, I say something like this. You know, dad, I really hope you catch a fish. I really hope you catch a fish today. So there I'm using the word hope as wishful thinking. (laughs) Because if dad's involved, I have zero confidence catching a fish will be involved. That's one of the ways that all of us use the word hope. And that's probably the most common form of the word hope during this type of year. Kids hope for something at Christmas. They wish for something. Well, there's another way that we use the word hope. We use it as a confident expectation for future good that's based on circumstances. We look at our circumstances and we say, well, since things are trending in a right direction, I have a bit of confidence that something good is about to happen. Let me give you another example. Sometimes I go fishing with my son who, unlike his grandfather, has caught some pretty good fish with me through the years. And there are days when I can tell that the conditions are favorable for us for catching a really good fish. And on those occasions, Logan might say something like this to me. Hey dad, is there any hope we're gonna catch a fish today? And I'll reply with something like this. Well, the conditions are right and I know there are fish here and Papaw's not with us. So I expect that we should catch something today. I'm hopeful. Right there, I'm using the word hope as a confident expectation that's based on favorable circumstances. Things seem to be pointing in the right direction, so I'm optimistic as a result of favorable circumstances. Here's the thing, though, about that use of the word hope. That's a far cry from certainty. I'm looking at favorable circumstances, and I don't know one way or the other how it's going to occur, but I have a thing I call hope. It's an optimism. 
a favorable feeling based on favorable circumstances. But there's a reason in that scenario why I am not highly confident or certain maybe. And it's this, it's because I'm still part of the equation. Okay. Here's what I need to tell you. While my father-in-law is the worst fisherman by far, I think I've covered that already. I am far from the best fisherman I know. Here's what I know. I know I have a tremendous capacity to mess things up. There might be fish present that has nothing to do with my ability to actually catch them. So while I might be optimistic with hope, I'm far from certain any time a fishing trip depends on me. Well, there's a third way that we use the word hope. It's a confident expectation for future good that's based on truth. Okay, let me give you an illustration of that. My friend Rocky Van Hoos, some of you guys know Rocky. Rocky is a professional fishing guide, all right? He's been fishing Florida waters from before I was even born. Rocky, sorry to date you on that, but everyone knew you're a lot older than I am. That's not the point. Rocky and I have gone on quite a few fishing trips with one another, and I've always caught fish whenever I'm with Rocky. As a matter of fact, I have caught some monster fish because Rocky has helped me. He has put me on really good fish. The reality is this, Rocky has forgotten more about fishing coastal waters in Florida than I will ever know. So if I'm going fishing with Rocky and you say, hey Titus, what hope do you have that you're gonna catch fish today? My answer would be this, Rocky. Rocky is my hope. Now, Rocky, don't hold that over my head. I can see you cutting that sound bite and playing it back for me through the years. Rocky's my hope for fishing. So Rocky's my hope. I am confident that anytime I'm going fishing with Rocky, I'm going to catch some fish. Rocky, do you get the hint your pastor's given you? I'd love to go fishing sometime soon. So get right with the Lord and call me, man. Here's the story. In that instance, My hope is the furthest thing from wishful thinking. It is an absolute confidence, a certainty that's based not on circumstances that I can see or know about. It's based on the truth about a person, a truth that causes me to be filled with a certain confident expectation. And guys, that is what the word hope means in the Bible. That's the word that the Bible uses that we read as hope in the scriptures. Biblical hope is a confident expectation for our future good based on absolute truth, primarily the truth about God himself throughout scripture. We, we, we heard this read in Psalm 42 just a moment ago. You find that the people of God are urged to put their hope in the Lord. Because despite what circumstances would look like, despite what the world seems like, despite what may be dependent on you, God's people always have reason to live with hope. Hope in the Lord. And that is what I pray you are brimming full of today. Hope in the Lord, a confident expectation that no matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what your life is like today, your future is 
filled with glorious good because of Jesus. That's the hope the Bible's referring to, and that's the kind of hope that Jesus brings, and that's actually what we find in the life of Simeon. He is an illustration of that kind of hope in the Lord Jesus. Let me show you why I say that. Look back at verse 25 of our text. Luke 2:25 says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now notice this phrase waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Aren't you guys excited about the consolation of Israel? Woohoo! You're probably wondering, what's the consolation of Israel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's study the Bible for a minute. That word consolation means comfort or encouragement. So Simeon was waiting for the comfort or encouragement of Israel. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, God would give messages to his people through men who were referred to as the prophets. And one of the prophets was a man named Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And he specifically prophesied about the birth of Jesus. But one of the main things that God sent Isaiah to declare to his people Israel was that judgment was coming because of their sin. You see, as a nation, they had rebelled against God and because of their sin, they were going to be separated from God's blessing. They were going to have to live in another land and experience a life of hardness and difficulty because of their sin. But that's not the only thing that God sent Isaiah to declare to Israel. He actually also had another message, a message that was in spite of the suffering. It was a message that one day God would come to these suffering people who were separated from blessing because of their sin, and and God would comfort them. He would actually bring them encouragement. Listen to the The prophecy of Isaiah from chapter 49, verse 13. I'll just give you two examples. Here in 49, 13, Isaiah says this, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Do you see it there? The comfort of his people, Israel. The comfort or consolation of of Israel. Look at Isaiah 52 verses 9 through 10 say this, then break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted or consoled his people. Now notice this, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah says a day's coming where the people who were punished and disciplined and separated from a life of blessing because of their sin, they'll be encouraged. They'll be comforted. And right there in verses nine and 10 of Isaiah 52, he says, it's because they'll be redeemed and God will send salvation. I love the picture. He will bear his arm. He'll roll up his sleeve and flex his muscle. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to wow you this morning, but get the picture. God will flex his muscle and show his strength by saving people who've been separated from his blessing 
because of their sin. What a comforting word. Well, here's the reality. There are many more prophecies in Isaiah and Simeon would have known that God had promised through his prophet that that time of consolation was coming, that redemption and salvation was coming. And so he looked forward with hope for that time of consolation. He confidently expected that good was coming in his future. So he waited for it. In other words, he lived with hope. And his hope was rooted in the truth about a person. That's what verse 26 shows us in our text. Verse 26 says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So do you see the connection there? He says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the time when God would comfort and encourage people who've been broken in their sin and separated from blessing. And that time of comfort or consolation would coincide with the coming of the Christ. Did you see all that alliteration there? Aren't you impressed? The consolation and comfort would come with the correspondence of Christ. He would bring the comfort to his people. Here's what that means. The truth about God's blessing resided in the presence of a person. That person was the Christ. And all of God's promised blessing was attached to what this promised person, who's known as the Christ, would bring into this world. And so the hope of Simeon was rooted and centered on the absolute truth about a person who's the Christ. In other words, Jesus himself. And that's why this little text here in Luke chapter two is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live with hope because of Jesus. And here's what I want us to do. In the time we have left, I want us to take this man, Simeon, and I just want to spend a few moments looking at our text and learning what we find about living with Christ-centered hope. And what I want to do is go ahead and give you the big idea. We'll unpack it throughout these verses in the remainder of our time this morning. Here's our our big idea for this morning. Christ-centered hope believes, waits, and obeys. What do you do if you desire to live with Christ-centered hope? What do you do if a friend says, how can I have Christ-centered hope? You believe, you wait, you obey. Now, let me show you that in our text. Number one, Christ-centered hope believes what God says. Now, remember, biblical hope is more than wishful thinking, and it's not just being optimistic. Biblical hope is a confident expectation for our future good that's rooted or based on absolute truth. And here's what you need to know, friend. The clearest source of absolute truth is the word of God, the Bible. I know we live in a world that has wholesale abandoned the idea of absolute truth. We live in a world of pluralism, a a world of uh, situational ethic, a, a world that doesn't believe that there's absolute truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Guys, that's a theological term called hogwash. The Bible is the clearest source for absolute truth. It is the word of God. And so hope, listen to me, friend, hope is nothing more than wishful thinking unless it's rooted 
in what God has clearly said in his word, the Bible. Let me show you that in our text. Verses 25 through 26, we already read this, but it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You find the word of God present here in two ways. We already looked at verse 25 and saw that he would have known about the consolation of Israel because the word of God came through the prophet Isaiah. And so he believed the word of God and was filled with hope. That's why he waited. But verse 26 connects another thing that God had said to Simeon that affected his hope. God said Simeon would not die until he actually witnessed the coming of the Messiah who would bring about the consolation of Israel. And you find the implications clear. Simeon believes that. He believes that he will not die until he sees with his eyes the Lord's Christ. Ancient Hebrew scholars believe that's what propelled him to be an early skydiver and cliff climber. He knew he wouldn't die. No, I'm kidding. He knew he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And then he saw Jesus. And notice what he says in verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you see these verses are dripping with a confident expectation? Verse 29, Simeon says this, God, you can go ahead and let me die because I'm at peace. Why would he say that? Because he believed that there was something good in his future, even beyond his death. Why would he believe that? Well, he tells us in verse 29, God had provided for salvation in this person named Jesus. Do you see it there? Seeming so filled with faith that he looks at Jesus and he's confident this Jesus is going to save me to the point I don't need to fear death. You can take me now, God. I'm at peace because Jesus has come. And do you, do you get the, the interesting thing here? Jesus is only a month old. Simeon's holding Jesus. Jesus isn't holding Simeon. He's a baby in his arms. He had not lived his whole life yet. He had 33 more years to go. He hadn't died on a cross yet. He hadn't risen from the dead yet. But Simeon believes He believes everything that God had promised would come true through Christ. He believed that all that God had prophesied would come to pass in this person named Jesus. So he stands in this temple as an old man, supremely confident that his future is ultimately good because of Jesus. Because if Jesus had come, from heaven to earth, then how is he not going to do everything he said he would do on earth? Simeon believed it so thoroughly that he considered it all as good as done. He said, I have seen your salvation already 
even though Christ hadn't died to save us yet. Do you realize what's going on here? His faith is so strong and his hope begins to emerge in a way that he believes that God will do all he promised he would do. He considers it done even though Jesus hasn't done it all yet. And guys, that's a great picture of biblical hope. Hope believes that Jesus will do all he has said he will do, even though he hasn't done it all yet. Hope in Christ considers the promises as good as done. And let me just ask you this. How would that change the way you live today? If you heard the word of God And by faith, you confidently expected God to do everything he's promised to do in you, even if he hasn't done it yet. Let me give you a couple of examples of what Jesus has promised to do for you if you're trusting in Christ. Galatians chapter five, verse five says this, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying. We saw this when we studied Galatians through this year. Jesus promises to make us perfectly and completely righteous by his grace. Here's what that means. It means we are going to be perfectly right, completely right, right and free from every sinful thought, every sinful desire, every sinful deed. In other words, we will be righteous completely like Jesus is righteous, not by our works, but by his grace. And I don't know about you, but I can hardly imagine being the kind of person who's immune to temptation because I'm so inherently righteous in thought, word, and deed. I can't imagine never wanting to sin again, never desiring anything but what is perfectly right. But guess what? Even though I can't imagine it, that's exactly what Jesus has promised to do for everyone who trusts in him. So let me ask you this, how would it change your battle with sin if you lived with confidence that your battle with sin doesn't depend on you, that Jesus will do it because he's promised to do it. And he will do it so thoroughly that one day you will be, think, feel, and act just like Jesus You want to talk about victory over sin is victory in Jesus. What if you lived like you believed it was as good as done? Wouldn't you rejoice? Wouldn't you be glad? Wouldn't you have hope in your battle with sin? Well, believe the word of God and hope will come. Listen to Romans 8 verses 23 through 25 says this. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons for redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In this verse, it's talking about the fact that one day Jesus is gonna come and transform all of our broken bodies into glorious resurrection bodies that will never again experience sickness or weakness or decay. Can all of God's people say amen? (laughs) Yeah. Let me ask you this. How would it change your battle with physical sickness and weakness if you believed 
and lived with confidence that that promise is as good as done for you? Would you fear your future if you knew God would ultimately overcome every physical weakness that you experience, every sickness that you encounter. Titus chapter two, verses 13 through 14 says this, that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right here it says that one day Jesus is coming again and when Jesus comes, he will rescue us from every bit of lawlessness or godlessness and sin of this present age. Did you know this present age is marked by lawlessness and godlessness? Yeah, just this last week, our Congress passed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. If you're not familiar with this, this legislation opens up the door that Christians like you, from every single walk of life, could potentially lose your jobs and face serious legal consequences for supporting the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality, that God designed marriage and sexuality to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And some of you have seen that legislation and you've asked your pastors, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to live and preach as though the Bible is the word of God, no matter what. And here's the reason why I bring that up. The longer that we go, we need to be aware that this world will grow more lawless And more godless before Jesus comes again. But we don't have to grow more hopeless. And I realize as you watch the headlines and as you all see the world trending in the direction that it's going, there is a temptation for us to walk around with a sense of hopelessness. I talk to you and you talk to me and we have to encourage one another as we go. But our hearts are tempted to be hopeless when we look around at the brokenness and darkness of our world. But how would it change the way you read the headlines and struggle with the godlessness of our age if you truly believed that Jesus is coming again and it could be today. And when he comes again, he's gonna rescue you from every bit of mess in this world and the grip of godlessness that's taken place in this age. What if you were so certain of that truth that Jesus is coming again and establishing his victorious, glorious kingdom on this earth that you live today as though it's as good as done. Wouldn't it change? It would. It would be called living with hope because hope believes what God has said in a way that you live confidently as though it will come to pass. Number two, now does hope believe what God has said? Christ-centered hope waits for God to work. Guys, when our faith in God's promises are certain, we can patiently wait for God to work. That's exactly what Simeon shows us. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Guys, hope waits for God to work. 
Guys, that's an essential element of hope. As a matter of fact, the biblical words that are, that are translated hope in our Old and New Testaments are often translated as the word wait. Like those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That is hope. Those who hope in the Lord. Those who wait. Because hoping and waiting go together. You have to wait for what's in the future. You know why? Because it's not now. (laughs) You got to wait. And so hope is waiting. And I hope you noticed in the verses I mentioned just a moment ago, they're all linked with waiting. Galatians 5.5 says, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness because we're not fully righteous yet. We have to wait for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Romans 8.25 says, we wait for the redemption of our bodies with patience. It's in that hope we're saved. We're not there yet. Titus 2.13 says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, which is the return of Jesus. We have to wait because he hasn't come yet. Hope waits for God to work. Let me just put that in plain English. We need hope because all of us, every one of us, We'll have to live through long periods of time when God hasn't done what he's promised to do yet. And in that waiting place, anybody ever have trouble waiting? Just waiting? In that place, hope in the waiting doesn't turn away from God. Hope in the waiting doesn't put God on our time frame and then take matters into our own hands when he doesn't meet our deadline. Hope waits for God to work. And all of us are in some waiting room by God's design today. Some of you are waiting for your healing Some of you are waiting for your prodigal to return. Some of you are waiting for the deliverance from trials of your life. You're waiting and you're watching the clock. And I know, I see you. Some of you right now are watching the clock, waiting for lunch to come. You're in the waiting room of life and you're wondering, what's God doing? Has he forgotten? Is he idle? Is he delayed? You're waiting and you're wondering, and you need to know this, friend. God isn't far off. He isn't unconcerned. He is not forgetting a thing he's promised. He's not wondering how it's all going to turn out. Did you know that when God reads the headlines in the news app, he does not get nervous? Not a single bit. You want to know what God is doing? Well, just think what he was doing at the first Christmas. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see it there? The fullness of time. For thousands of years, people like Simeon were waiting on this moment when God would send the Christ, his own son, into this world. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, people were waiting for God to do what he promised to do. And do you know when God sent his son into this world? Do you know? I'll tell you when. At the exact right time. Not a moment too early. Not a moment too late. 
And brother and sister, that's exactly what God is doing with you. He is waiting for the exact right time in your life to fulfill every single promise he's ever made. You want to know when you're going to receive the healing and the redemption of your body that God has promised? You want to know? I'll tell you at the exact right time. You know when the prodigal will come home? At the exact right time. You want to know when you're going to be delivered from the trials of your life? Can you guess? At the exact right time. And because that's truth, God has placed in our hearts a Christ-centered hope that is willing to wait for God to do what only God can do and to believe while we wait that our God is right on time all the time. So let me ask you this, what promise from God are you waiting to be fulfilled in your life? Where are you tempted to take matters in your own hands because you're starting to get tired of waiting for God to work? What would it look like if you believed God's promises in a way you were willing to wait on God's work in your marriage, with your children, in our world, in your own soul? How is Christ calling you to wait on him today? I want to encourage some of you who are impatient with God's work to spend a moment this morning just praying that God would strengthen your heart, that you would truly believe his promises in a way that you're willing to wait on the Lord and not turn or take matters into your own hands. Christ-centered hope waits on God. And we'll close with this last one. Number three, Christ-centered hope not only believes and waits Christ-centered hope obeys what God commands. Guys, hope may wait on the Lord, but patience in our waiting is not the same as idleness in our waiting. Let me put that in modern English. People who hope in Christ don't just camp out on their couches and do nothing till Jesus comes again. Hope-filled people obey what God has said. Let me show you that in the life of Simeon. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Simeon was righteous. That's just another way of saying that he had faith in the Lord, which makes us righteous, and he did what was right as Christ's righteousness played out in him. It also says that he was devout. That word devout means God-fearing, and it's used in the Old Testament to describe people who were careful to keep all that God had commanded in his law. In other words, they were God-fearing, devout people who obeyed God. Now, notice it again in verse 27. He, a righteous, devout man, came in the spirit into the temple. Guys, there's no indication that Simeon woke up that morning knowing that this would be the day that he would meet Jesus. It simply says he came to the temple by the power of the Spirit. Why would he come to the temple? Because God had commanded his people to worship him at the temple in Jerusalem. And Simeon, living in the power of the Spirit, simply obeyed what God had said because he was confident God knew how life works best. Hope is confident in God. That means when God tells us how we're supposed to live, hope is a kind of confidence that believes God actually knows what he's talking about. Did you know that? God actually knows how life works best. God actually wants 
to bless your life. That's why he has attached the promise of blessing to the way he's called us to live. Let me give you some examples. Second Corinthians chapter nine, God promises to bless those who faithfully and generously give to his kingdom work. And when you believe that God is for you, not against you, and he knows best how life works and will keep his promises, you can confidently expect that as you step in by faith to obedience, he will pour out his blessing on you. So, As an expression of your faith and confidence in him, you step into obedience and give generously. He says in Psalm chapter one that he will bless those who read and meditate on the word of God, the Bible. And hoping in Christ means you confidently expect that God will do what he said he'll do. So then by faith you read and meditate on the Bible as an expression of your faith in Jesus. God's promised Promise to bless husbands who love their wives like Christ loved the church. To bless wives who honor their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. To bless children who obey their parents. He's promised to bless those who practice his plan for sexual purity. He's promised to bless those who work honestly and honor their bosses. He promised to bless those who love and serve their neighbors. He's promised to bless those who take care of their families. He's promised to bless those who go to him in fervent prayer. And when your heart believes what God says and you have confidence he'll do what he says, which is hope, you step into obedience because you believe God will do exactly what he's promised to do. Here's what that means. It means that every act of disobedience is actually an act of hopelessness and disobedience of disbelief in God. When we don't obey, it's revealing that we really just don't believe that God is good and will keep his promise. So let me just ask you this. Are you living with the kind of hope that is stepping by faith into obedience to our Father God? Living with hope means we believe, we wait And we obey God because we believe that God is good and will do all that he's promised to do. So friend, where's your hope this morning? Are you living in and with the hope that Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again to give you today? I pray that the light of Christ would shine in your hearts this Christmas that you would believe all that God has promised, that you would wait with patience on all that he will do and that you will step by faith into obedience as you live with hope today and until Jesus comes again. Would you bow your heads in prayer? As we reflect on the truth of God's word, let me just ask, where are those places in your heart where you're most struggling to live with hope? Where is there fear about your future, not a confident expectation for good? Where's a dread about your future? Where are you growing weary as you've waited so long on the Lord? Would you take that to God this morning? Ask him to fill your heart with faith. 
believe his promises. For those of you who've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you haven't had supreme confidence that your eternal future would be gloriously good, right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Hear the truth that Christ has come to live the perfect life you failed to live and die the death you should have died as a payment for your sin and that he not only died but rose again from the dead to raise you up to a brand new life. Would you call on Jesus by faith, asking him, depending on him to save you in every way you need to be saved? May Jesus be your hope. Father, I know that as we desire to have our hearts prepared for Christmas that many of us have been battling a kind of hopelessness. Hopelessness as we live in a dark and decaying world. As we look at headlines and we're filled with anxiety and fear. As we deal with our own struggles with sin and sickness and despair. So Father, would you, would you do a work in all our hearts this Christmas? Would, would you remind us over and over again of what you've said and promised in your word? Father, would you fill us with faith that no matter what's happening around us in this world, or no matter what's going on inside of us in our flesh, Would you fill us with faith to believe you and take you at your word? To trust you will do all you've promised to do and that it's as good as done. May we believe. May we wait. May we obey. May we live, I pray, with hope because of Jesus. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.